This is Radio Maria, and we now present Word of Life. This program is a rebroadcast. listening to Father Toby and we are going to have our word of life and uh, and today we're going to carry on with our reading from the love that is God an invitation to Christian faith by Deacon Frederick Christian Bowersmith we're on the fourth chapter um, where he speaks of if we do not love each other which is if we do not love each other then how can we say that we love God there is this um indivisible link between the two greatest commandments which jesus gives us to to love our to love god and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and the extension of that commandment which jesus gives us in the parable of the the good samaritan and also when he tells us that we are to love our enemies Um, and obviously uh, this is this is difficult christianity is difficult um living the life of the true christian is very very difficult it's why we church teaches that we need the theological virtue of hope that hope from god that despite the fact that life on earth is arduous and difficult that picking up our cross and following christ is arduous and difficult it is nonetheless possible with his grace and our being transformed by his love and if the, the Christian message doesn't challenge, then either we're not hearing it or we're not hearing it preached in its fullness because to follow Christ in the, the death, the self, the, the emptying of self in order that we might love more fully, it is, it is difficult. Um, and perhaps no part of Christian teaching challenges as much as the command to forgive those who wrong us 70 times 7, and also to love our enemies. And I'd be really interested when we open the, the phone line shortly to to hear from you if, if you have any any stories of uh, not so much people who you're struggling to, to forgive. Um, there's scope for that in another program. But if you have any stories of what helped you to be able to forgive, um, what gave you that that peace to be able to reconcile with somebody, particularly if you've uh, struggled for a while. I think it's always wonderful to share those sorts of stories because this this difficulty in forgiving, I know, sort of paralyzes and, and holds back um, so many people in, in, in following Christ as they want to follow Christ, but also in experiencing the, the peace that forgiveness gives so uh, please do uh, phone in um, when I give the, the number out during our first piece of music and and share with uh, me and our other listeners 
any stories that you have of how you managed to to forgive. Um, but we we're just going to repeat um, the the last paragraph that we read uh, yesterday, um, and uh, we should get to the end of of this chapter um, today. A, a wonderful and uh, yeah challenging and also insightful chapter. So we begin from page eighty seven. I have a friend who visibly winces whenever the subject of loving enemies comes up. She is someone who is committed to a life of prophetic advocacy for the poor and vulnerable, and who hates hypocrisy and selfishness and willful ignorance of the plight of others. She winces because she knows that the love of enemies truly lies at the heart of Christianity. She winces because she knows that the only love that can encompass even our enemy is the love that has been stretched out and broken open on the cross. Love that makes itself vulnerable to the hatred of enemies, believing that love is stronger than hate and that life will triumph over death. She winces because she knows that friendship with Jesus means sharing in this crucified love. I should repeat that last sentence. She winces because she knows that friendship with Jesus means sharing in this crucified love. And if you've got a good memory, you'll remember that the, the first chapter of this book was all about the radical claim that God is love and that this is a a claim which goes far beyond nice, fuzzy feelings. And then we know that the, the second chapter of this book was about the, the crucified shape of that love um, and the, the sacrificial way in which God loves us on earth and that we are invited to enter into. And so Bauschmidt continues, I said earlier that Jesus' followers were not very keen on the notion of a Messiah who had to be crucified. And that's absolutely as we would expect, isn't it? And, you know, imagine somebody you loved um, told you that they were going to die prematurely. And particularly somebody who you loved who seemed to have tremendous powers as well. You would say, why on earth are you going to allow this to, to happen? Not only because you love them and you don't want anything bad to happen, but also because you love them, you know the pain that you will experience when something bad happens to them. And then imagine how much worse it is to hear, not only that he fully intends to allow himself to be crucified, but that he says, you must follow me. That doesn't sound like good news at first blush. Um, and it's only the when we look at the the Old Testament scriptures and see what they foretell of the Messiah, that we start to comprehend how this must be. And it's only when we live in the light of the resurrection that we realize that this is not an end to love, but rather the triumph of love over death. And so Basham says, As if to add insult to injury, after predicting his death, Jesus goes on to say to them, If any want to become my followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus' words are echoed in the first letter of John. We know love by this, 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Friendship with the crucified Messiah involves sharing in his fate, laying down your life in dramatic and not-so-dramatic ways. Ignacio Elecuria notes that the Christian's mystical dying and rising with Jesus in baptism brings consequences like those Jesus suffered, as long as the world remains like the world in which Jesus lived. I think that's an absolutely brilliant point. Um, if we love like Christ did, then we will also experience the consequences of loving like Christ did, because we still live in a fallen world, although Christ has made our redemption possible. And that quote from Ignacio Elucuria reminds me of a, a saying from one of the, the friars of my, my province, who was one of our, our great thinkers of the last century, Father Herbert McCabe. And he said, um, if you love, then they'll kill you. But if you don't love, then you're dead already. Smith continues, the early second century bishop Ignatius of Antioch, as he journeyed under guard toward execution in Rome, wrote to those seeking to persuade him to find a way to avoid death. To die in Jesus Christ is better than to be monarch of earth's widest bounds. He who dies for us is all I seek. He who rose again is my whole desire. Leave me to imitate the passion of my God. To willingly take up the cross is to follow Jesus' path of striving only for the kingdom of God. It is to throw your life into the abyss of love, trusting in God's power to bear you up. I remember when I lived in Rome at the beautiful Basilica of San Clemente where I sat in choir each day to pray the divine office as i looked up there was a um a series of frescoes depicting the the life and the martyrdom of saint ignatius of of, of antioch um and as i looked up at those frescoes i often used to be challenged um by his by his words and his and his writings um the way he, he seemed to even desire martyrdom not just um, not seek to avoid it and, uh, and there was a, a relic of um, of Ignatius of Antioch uh, beneath the, the high altar at San Clemente and so uh, one of the, the beautiful things about sort of Christian art and also our, our relics is that they bring us into a into an intimacy with the with the person um, we're going to go to a, a piece of music now um it's perhaps instructive that i was trying to think of well what uh what songs are there what what pieces of music are there about um forgiveness and i, I couldn't think of of that many i wonder if if you might have any any good suggestions um you can you can phone phone me on zero one two two three three seven five five six four um if you know of some good ones that's zero one two two three three seven five five six four or as i said i'd be very interested to hear from you your your stories of of how you managed to forgive 
somebody even when it was difficult. Um, but in the absence of me being able to think about any beautiful songs about forgiveness, I wanted to play for you a beautiful setting of the Canticle of Creatures, um, that beautiful poem prayer by St. Francis of, of Assisi, which helps us see how we relate to, to all of creation. And I think when we when we become more aware of our of our part within creation um, and of the damage we've done and of the forgiveness we've received and of the the grandeur of the position we've been placed in then perhaps that makes those first steps of forgiveness somewhat easier so let's listen to this beautiful setting of the canticle of creatures by uh, simone de Voy. <laughs> Precious God No spoken word Can hold your name Praise be to you Who births all life With all your creatures Especially Brother, son, who is the day and is your light, beauty so true to you. There you are. Friend through the night 
Father Toby with your word of life for today. We've been reading from Deacon Frederick Christian Bowersmith's book, The Love That Is God, An Invitation to Christian Faith, and dealing with the the topic of um, loving our enemies and forgiving those who harm us and harm those who we love. And uh, Bowersmith was just talking about uh, the the willingness of uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch to go to his martyrdom. And he says, to willingly take up the cross is to follow Jesus's path of striving only for the kingdom of God. It is to throw your life into the abyss of love, trusting in God's power to bear you up. This becomes particularly clear in loving our enemies. Embracing the cross is both the precondition that makes possible love of our enemies and the inevitable consequence of such love. If the cross of Jesus teaches us anything, it is that the love of enemies will often be perceived as weakness by those enemies, a weakness that they will not hesitate to exploit. The enemies we love may well be the ones who make sure that our lives take the form of crucified love. To take up the cross is to renounce self-protection. And that's really beautifully put and an important point that Bauer Smith makes. Um, This radical vulnerability of Christian loving and of Christian forgiveness which I see as a monumental strength. Um, But it was why Nietzsche despised Christianity. Nietzsche thought that Christianity made us weak, um, and he wanted nothing to do with a a religion which said to to love our neighbor and to forgive our enemies. He thought this turned us into, into weaklings who would just be trampled over, and rather... What we were called to do was to become the the, the ubermensch, the the superman, the one who would liberate himself 
from morality and who would take what he wanted. Um, and Nietzsche saw that as being a much stronger vision of man. But what Christianity teaches is that true strength is found in being able to love like God. True strength is found in being able to endure in that love even in the face of persecution. And think how much more strength it requires to, to suffer than it does to, to lash out. How much more strength to continue to, to love in the face of persecution than to respond with anger, content, contempt, and resentment. Christianity might not always be the the sort of the muscular powerful response might not always be the, the kind of the most dramatically powerful response but the interior self-position the interior strength required to live the christian life is way way more powerful than any alternatives that nietzsche or others might offer Smith continues Taking up the cross in love of both friend and enemy involves a still more wrenching renunciation. The renunciation of the illusion that we can protect our friends from our enemies. To hate our enemies with perfect hatred is to accept limits on the means we can use to protect ourselves and those we love. As deep as our commitment to justice may be, we cannot pursue justice by utterly destroying the unjust. Or rather, our only means of destroying the unjust is to make them just, enticing them into friendship with God by letting our, wit our witness of love be the instrument of God's grace. Martin Luther King said to those who opposed desegregation, be assured that we will wear you down with our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. As ever, what amazing words by Martin Luther King Jr. seeing to the the heart of Jesus' words in the gospel um, and what it means to, to live those out and how much we have to, to thank for the example of this man. And as we see with, with, with Martin Luther King Jr., he very much lived out what uh, Father Herbert McCabe, who I mentioned earlier, said that, that if, you, if you love, they will kill you. And if you, if you don't love, then you're already dead. And we see that the, the sort of the persecution can come when we love, not just from from those you know whom seek to persecute us, but also those who are being persecuted alongside us, but who want our response to be violent, who want our response to be to overpower the oppressor and to oppress them in return. And so they can also turn on us as many did on Martin Luther King. To love our enemies is to renounce the idea that we have it in our power to make history turn out right, 
to end all suffering, to banish all evil. To love our enemies is in the end to disarm ourselves of any weapons that set the cross and the Spirit's gifts of faith, hope and love. What an important point that is as well. To love our enemies is to renounce the idea that we have it in our power to make history turn out right, to end all suffering, to banish all evil. Look at the, the vast evil done by totalitarian regimes in the last century and in this one who thought that they held it within their power to make history turn out right, who thought that through the, the, the use of, of law and force they could somehow create a, a perfect society. But rather the, the Christian message seeks to to transform individuals by inviting them into God's love and that those individuals collectively um, comprise the, the church and then exist in, in bonds of love with one another, but that faith and love can never be coerced. They are always the response to an invitation from God and that we're liberated as questions in that it's not my responsibility to ensure that everything in the world is perfect. That's a burden that no man or woman could live with. But it is my responsibility to simply love well in the basic day-to-day -day circumstances of my life. And what follows from that I often will not see. But that's all the Lord asks of me, to love well in the situation in which I find, find myself in. Um, and once we, once we realize that, that the whole world is not our responsibility, we actually become liberated to, to serve the whole world better um, when we realize that God is on the throne, that God ultimately has dominion, um, that God will not, not, will not let, in the eternal scheme of things, uh, injustice go unpunished, love go unrewarded um i think that's hugely liberating we're going to listen now to uh, god is on the throne by uh, we the we the kingdom and then after this uh, um, lively great piece of music we're going to uh, finish this chapter and then next week we'll be able to begin the the final the final chapter of this wonderful book so let's listen to uh, god is on the throne by we the kingdom I'm safe in his arms, safe in his heart And nothing can take me away from his love Why should I worry? Why should I fear? Why should I run when Jesus is here? I'm safe in his arms, and safe in his heart Nothing can take me away
so liberating once we remember that God is on the throne. God is ultimately responsible for, for justice for the whole world and rather we just need to be just in our dealings with those who are, who are put in front of us, those who we come across. And, and that already is, is, is hard enough for us with our, our tendencies towards sin and the ways that our, that our culture and other pressures push us towards that liberation of allowing God to be God as well operates in a in another way. It operates with regards to allowing God to, to forgive us. Um, so often I come across people who weighed down by their sense of sin and the idea that what they've done 
is so abhorrent, so bad, that God could never possibly forgive them. Um, and and it's a it's a sort of pride almost sounds 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 wrong, but it is a form of spiritual pride at the end of the day to say that there is something that I have done that God cannot forgive because God is God. And we just more and more need to allow God to be God and it will liberate us. We're going to go back to, to reading this chapter, um, finishing off this chapter on the forgiveness of enemies. And I'm going to make a, a pledge, um, which it might surprise some of you if I manage to keep, but it's that I'm not going to uh, interrupt any of the, the rest of the text with my commentary. I just want to read to the end so that we finish this chapter today. So we'll see how I go on with my, uh, with my, my pledge. To speak of renouncing the aspiration to make history turn out right might sound like a council to sit on our hands as we wait for God to fix things. But this is not in fact the lesson that followers of Jesus have drawn. The first letter of John says, Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. To love is to take action. To love our neighbours who are suffering is both to work to alleviate their suffering and also to denounce the cause of their suffering, to make their enemies our enemies and as such the object of our love. But those who seek most resolutely to put love into action are also those who recognise most clearly their own incapacity to control outcomes. In Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel, The Brothers Karamazov, the holy man, Father Zosima, speaking to a well-intentioned and well-to-do woman who finds it easy to love people in theory, but difficult in practice, says, Active love is a harsh and fearful thing compared with love in dreams. Love in dreams thirsts for immediate action quickly performed and with everyone watching. Indeed, it will go as far as giving even of one's life, provided it does not take long but is soon over, as on stage when everyone is looking on and praising. Whereas active love is labour and perseverance, and for some people, perhaps a whole science. Love is a work of patience, and to practice patience is to suffer the flow of time recognizing our incapacity to rush redemption. The trick is to work ceaselessly, putting love into action in the most concrete ways possible, while simultaneously leaving the outcome of our labor entirely in the hands of God. The kind of abstract love for humanity in general that Father Zosima denounces as love in dreams is a persistent temptation for those who seek to follow Jesus' command to love. Because this is a command of universal scope, love of both friends and enemies, of neighbours both near and far, it can easily fall prey to a vagueness that dulls the sharp edge of the harsh and fearful love that Jesus calls us to. But how can we have such love for billions of people, almost none of whom we shall ever meet? Aristotle said it was characteristic of friends to live together, 
And while it is undeniably true that we all inhabit an increasingly fragile and interconnected earth, it is pretty clear that Aristotle thought friendship involved something more robust than a shared global concern and social media friendships. Perhaps it is only within a smaller circle of friendship that we can learn a love that might one day blossom forth into that love of both friend and enemy, of near and far neighbour, the end to war of everyone against everyone that Jesus commands. While Jesus taught a love that is universal, he also showed particular concern for the little flock of his followers. For it is within this community that we are formed of, as lovers of God and neighbour. This little flock is what we call the church. So there you go. I managed it. I, uh, I got through a section um, without interrupting uh, Deacon Frederick Christian Bowersmith. Um, and that brings us to the end of the, the chapter. Um, he recommends, if you want any further reading on this topic, the, uh, the book of Mika, um, that 8th century Hebrew prophet, um, and also the uh, writings of Catherine of Siena um, in an edition by, put together by Mary O'Driscoll. It's called Catherine of Siena, Passion for the Truth, Compassion for Humanity. And just on that final point that he said about a, a little um, flock that we call the church, it's also the, the, the charism and, and the, the hope of all of us here at Radio Maria that, that we build up a, a little flock within the church and inviting others into it, that we become a, a circle of friends who give witness to lives transformed by the power of the gospel, lives transformed by the experience of God's forgiveness. Um, obviously Radio Maria is free to listen to but it is not um, free for us to, to run and if you want to, to help us with our, our running costs then we are, we are desperately in need of donations. You can pledge a donation by calling 03003021251 that's 03003021251 or you can go online um, to radiomariaengland.uk. That's radiomariaengland.uk. And uh, go to the Support Us tab, and you can find details of various ways how to donate. Um, and as well as one-off sums, we're particularly in need of uh, regular donations, which helps us to, to plan and to move forwards with confidence. So please be assured of um, my prayers for all our regular benefactors and and no demo, no donation is is too small it really is a case to quote uh, a well-known supermarket that every little helps and it's our our hope that, that as we grow our number of listeners um that they might put um this radio station on an increasingly secure financial footing so that we can continue to broadcast the the good news to so many who need to hear it in our broken and fractured world so thank you for your generosity 